pray that our hearts would be open. We truly would be a, a people of the word, Lord, that when the word is open, we're attentive, we're listening. We desire to live out every truth in the scripture that we in turn love one another. First Corinthians 13, we love the sacrificial love that you've shown us that truly marks every believer and that we would be a missional people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, I wanna honor Tyler, wherever Tyler is. Uh, thank you for making this amazing masterpiece. Who's thankful for engineers? I am super thankful uh, for him that I don't have to lean on this and it goes up and down as you saw me do this exercise. It won't happen anymore, but I'm super thankful for this place. It is an honor to be here. Um, please do not get distracted by anything that is man-made, uh, that we are a people that are about each other about the word, about each other, the family of God. That's what makes the church. Um, I know that some of you guys who might be new, uh, as you walk through these doors, you're thinking, oh, I know a church like this. I've seen this before. Um, Don't judge a book by its cover. There are marvelous people in this room that are truly family. For the last eight and a half years, they've been mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, and I just can't wait to see what the next eight years is going to look like. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Um, As I'm in the back, just uh, hanging out with George just a bit, and just he'd been with us for so long, uh, working with our kids' ministry. He's just been such a blessing to us. I'll never forget that car ride uh, going from the point. uh, It's basically a housing development there for college students and apartments, and we're driving somewhere, I don't know where, but I was asking him, hey, you know, you need to go on our, on our mission trip to Miami. And he just thought I was crazy. Uh, this is probably around a little bit before 2013, I would say, was our first mission trip where we brought about 15 people. And he just looks at me and he just says, isn't this wonderful? Like, it, you're rewarded for, for staying, for those who persevere, those who endure, um, they are rewarded. Um, but if you're new, just know that if you, you know, you, there's something to be said. If you stick with it, uh, you will be rewarded. There's nothing like, there's something different be- between coming to church and sitting in the seat and just kind of hanging out and checking it out. Um, but then there are special rewards for those who, who give their lives. And what, a, what an honor. And then, of course, Michael Wathen coming up to me with tears in his eyes. And, of course, that made me emotional. And just turning to John 1, he said, it was a couple of years ago when you preached this message in John 1. And you just, it was God who was speaking through the word. And he was just, you just simply asked the question that was on the pages of scriptures in John 1, who are you seeking? And it just struck him, what am I seeking? Who am I seeking? And at that point, he just said, I got to come and see this Jesus. And he gave his life (laughs) to him. What an amazing, that's why we're here. Uh, We're here for family, uh, for what just small little moments like that with George. And we're here for salvations. 
and we're here for the nations. Let us not forget that because it is so easy to come into this place and just get all tangled up into the, the things that really will perish one day, but souls will never. They live forever, don't they? Um, in one of two places, either heaven or hell. So turn with me to Acts 15. This feels so good, by the way. I can't explain it. Uh, it just it feels right. Um, and it just, the presence of God is here. So f- Acts 15, we're going to do two things. If you want to write that on the top of your notes, we're going to talk about two things that this passage really is about. Every week we're going to ask God, what does this passage mean? It is important to, uh, as you open up the word of God, to what does it mean? You need to obsess yourself with that question. Um, it's not what it means to you. What does it mean to God? As you know, a lot of times you're in Bible studies, you, you get into the Bible study and everyone, maybe the person leading it says, what does it mean to you? You have every right to say it doesn't matter what it means to me. What does it mean to God? And this morning, we're going to look at Acts 15, 1 to 35, and we're going to ask the question, what does this mean to God? And really, there's two places that we can look at, or two applications, I should say, that make sense to this passage. And that is, one, we are saved by grace. And there's, it is a fitting message as we start a new day in the church, that we get this right. I believe that we need to get the gospel right. Number two is that how do they handle doctrinal issues? Uh, It would be silly of us and naive of us to realize that we are going to have doctrinal issues that come up. People will come in here and say, wait, maybe they don't agree with this or that. And that's okay. But there's a way to handle that rightfully. There's a way to handle that with honor and with unity. Uh, And we're going to look at how the disciples did that early on. So let's get into it. Throughout church history... Uh, leaders have met to hammer out the doctrinal issues who are thankful for that for the last 2,000 years. In fact, one of the longest ones is the Council of Trent. I'm not going to go into it, but they hammered out what does it mean to be saved? That is the most important question that any council has asked over the last 2,000 years. Bruce Shelley says this in Church History in Plain plain Language. It's a great book for an intro to church history if you want to get that book for yourself. Also on Amazon, you can uh, can watch. We're watching it right now. Caleb and I are 73 lessons. I think Corey's watching that as well. Uh, I'm sure his wife's super excited about that. That's what they do for date nights. Um, But 73 lessons on church history. And they go through the patristic era, the apostles, the patristic era, which just means the early church fathers all the way to through the Reformation, through those horrible Middle Ages, uh, and all the way through uh, to modern times where even they touch on the charismatic movement and et cetera. And so very, uh, very good. Uh, I, would, I would check that out for yourself because uh, while uh, schools, even high schools today are basically saying, History is no longer important. And I would say it is. It is very important. It's very important. Uh, We are, we didn't just show up one day and come out of our mother's womb and say, this is all there is. People have gone before us. 
and they've hammered out these truths. And so he says this, Bruce Shelley, church history shows that Christian theology is not primarily a philosophical system invented by man in the quiet of an academic study. Doctrines were hammered out by men who were on the work crew of the church. Every plank in the platform of orthodoxy was laid because some heresy had arisen that threatened to change the nature of Christianity. Now, we would be foolish to, to think or naive to think that that's not going to happen today. And so we actually went through uh, a lot of this year really has been uh, going, um, really defending the faith. And you might be thinking, well, why do we need to defend the faith? Because CRT is here. Critical race theory is a big deal. That's not just all there is. There's, there are, um, uh, I've heard uh, rumors that there might be uh, cults on campus or saying that you must be baptized to be saved. Or I, there's, there's always, there's nothing new under the sun, as we know. And we're not to be naive as the church, but the church leaders are to be aware of these things because our job as leaders are to protect the flock and feed the flock. That is the job of every leader in every church is to do that. Martin Luther says this, an upright shepherd and minister must improve his flock by edification. So I just said, feeding. And also resist and defend it. Otherwise, if resisting, be absent, the wolf devours the sheep. We cannot say we love this church and let whatever in. Although that might be uncomfortable for some because some people are not maybe used to that. But I would say I'd make an argument and say the healthier the church, the more work the devil does to plant the tares among the wheat. And so we're not to be naive in that. First Timothy 1, 3 to 4, Paul talks about it over and over. I could do a whole dissertation on it, but I won't. Just one passage, it says, instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. So in other words, there are doctrines that are strange that we need to pay attention to. And then there's also myths and endless genealogies, speculations, you know, the, 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 the things that are maybe not even worth talking about, but there are other things that are worth talking about. And I'll tell you today is something worth talking about because this is a heaven or hell issue. Acts 2.37, the question of all questions. We probably talked about that some, sometime in the fall, I believe. It was August. So we'll go August to August, by the way, just for those who like to plan a little bit. Uh, the 1st of September will be the end of our series. And it'll take a year to go through the book of Acts. But our question, our theme question throughout the whole book of Acts have been this. It's simply, what is the vision of the church by God's standard? What does he say about the church? How shall we live? Francis Schaeffer once asked that. Now that we're saved, how shall we live? And this whole series of a year is going to answer those questions. But the question of all questions is, what shall I do to be saved? You need to ask yourself that question and then find an answer before you die. This is the one of the most important questions that we can ask. And ultimately, the Jews were coming in and saying, look, we've got to add to this salvation. We, we need to add to it. And in verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, 
you cannot be saved. Now, there are people throughout church history that would say that, but I would say even in modern day now, you might talk to family members or friends or people on campus or people at your workplace, that people are always trying to add to salvation. You may not be in that season now. You're like, well, that's irrelevant now. But, you know, I just want to say as we're opening up the Bible week after week, sometimes it's not going to, quote unquote, hit you, if that makes sense. There are others in this room besides you. I think it's important that we never look at the word of God and say, oh, that's irrelevant. I wish you would get to something that's more relevant. Can I just say that all of God's word is God breathed? 2 Timothy 3, and it is good and profitable for your instruction, for correction, for training in righteousness. That it maybe doesn't make sense to you, but if you would pay attention and ask God for what does this mean to me? What does this mean for me, I should say? Uh, then you can actually take that and say, well, maybe that doesn't mean anything to me now, but I can take that and maybe it'll mean something to me later or it might be useful for somebody else. But the word of God is always useful, always. And those who pay attention to it will be transformed. Verse two, when Paul and Barnabas had a great dissension and debate with them who are the Judaizers, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders concerning the issue. So first I just want to say that there, there are always going to be, like I said, false teachers. Second Peter 2, 1, but the false, the false prophets also, excuse me, the false prophets also arose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you. So Peter's saying, look, it's gonna happen. Do not be naive, who will secretly, keyword, introduce destructive heresies. We need to be on guard, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Acts 20, 29 to 30, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, men will rise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. There is a ebb and flow to church. There are times where we hit mountaintops and maybe you feel like we're on one, but don't be deceived by, the th- by your eyes. We are. I, there, there, we have been victorious in this season. There are rewards for that and it's a good thing. But do not be naive in knowing that right now, even as we speak, Satan does have plans to disrupt the church. Amen? Amen just means truth. We're not like excited about that. (laughs) Amen means yes to the truth. That's true. And I think there are others in this church that feel like I want to be a guardian of that. I want to, like a father, right? You would never let anything, you never let some rabid pet or dog, or somebody else's dog, or somebody else's animal run through your house and ransack your house and hurt your children. No one would. I mean, you'd call that father a wimp or, uh, you know, whatever other name you could think of. Uh, But they're certainly negligent. They need to be protecting the household of God. 
You might be thinking, when my life group is so glorious, I can't imagine anything ever happening to it. Don't be naive. You don't have to be cynical of every person that walks through the doors. I wouldn't do that. The Bible is very clear on that. We need to be the best about people. Now, you might be thinking, where is that? 1 Corinthians 13. Love believes the best. It hopes all things. It hopes that even if they are in error, that God can change them, right? It's hopeful. It's good. But we're also at the same time, we're not naive. We're not ignorant of the enemy's schemes, right? Well, you might be thinking also pastors, there's no way pastors can possibly be these people. I'm, I'm, maybe they're just the fringe, you know, people that kind of come in and, and, and just sort of quiet in the background. No, 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 even leaders are like this. In fact, I'll read you a quote by Raphael Warnick. He's a Democrat in Georgia and also a pastor. You might have saw the tweet this week, but he is a pastor in Atlanta. And on Easter Sunday, he says this, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. He's a heretic. He's in the 1500s, he'd been burned at the stake. Instead, he's praised because we have no hunger for the truth anymore in our country. And so I'm not being political. I'm just stating facts. That, and the reason why I'm not, I wouldn't I even dare quote a politician because it's irrelevant to the church. But, but the fact that he is a reverend, he goes by Reverend Warnick, he is a heretic. And it is in my realm now. It's in my court. And uh, what that means is we can expose him for what he is, is a false teacher. And so I think that is important to know that we're not here to expose the unbeliever or just to expose just for political reasons, but we're here to say we will expose the false teacher. Um, We will mark them. In fact, it says that in the Bible, mark them. And we just marked um, Mr. Warnock today. It's in the Bible. Uh, if I'm wrong, tell me. But use verse, uh, chapter and verse. Anyways, all right. False teachers uh, also lead people to themselves. It says in Galatians 1, or 2, 1 to 21. Now, I'm going to go through this longer chapter. I, I, I believe it's important because Galatians sets the stage for what, uh, even uh, if maybe you've done Bible studies before, but Acts 15 and Galatians mirror each other. Some scholars say Galatians comes first, uh, and some say Acts 15 comes first. I'm not going to really get into that. Uh, I do have an opinion, but I think it's more important to understand that there's two things happening. In Acts 15, there's a, a council to handle how do people get saved. And also Paul was addressing the Galatians that same way. So let's just get a little of a backdrop here. Then after an interval, interval of 14 years. Now, Paul just didn't go into ministry right away. In fact, none of us should. There is a period of time that has to happen before 
you get into. And for Paul, he was trained by the Lord himself. How would you like to go to seminary? It's called Jesus Christ Seminary, and it was just between him and Paul. What a wonderful seminary that was. For 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, he went up to Jerusalem many times. Some say three scholars. Okay, so taking Titus along with him. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation. And he's speaking of the apostles. He's speaking of the the ones who are leading the church. James, uh, not James, the one who died because he already died in Acts chapter 12. But he's talking about James, the brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James. And then Peter and John. For fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He had pressure. But it was because of the false brethren, the Judaizers, who are the same ones here in chapter 15, secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. In other words, isn't it interesting, when we're at the mountaintop of our freedom, that's when Satan begins to plant the tares. He's like, I don't like the fact that how much freedom and how much joy the church is having. So they caused conflict. And we saw that throughout this year. In order to bring us into bondage, but we, ha- we did not yield and subject him to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. See, it's always to defend the truth of the gospel, not ourselves. It's important that when we're defending, we're not defending ourselves, but the truth. Amen? In fact, Jude 3 says that. We're defending the truth that was handed down by the apostles. There's a human element to it. But understand, if we, get, we could get this mixed up so easily, church, we could begin to defend each other and defend ourselves. I'd, I'm, not, I'm not here to defend myself. And our leaders are certainly not here to defend ourselves either, or themselves either. But we're here to defend the truth that was handed down, the faith, the truth, the faith of Jesus, the gospel, the Bible. God shows no partiality. Well, those who are of reputation contributing nothing to me, on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to, be, to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, just as Peter had been with the circumcised or the Jews, and recognizing the grace, key word, that had been given to me, James and Cephas or Peter, John, who were uh, reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they go to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. If you remember, Paul was bringing a gift in, in Acts chapter 11 uh, to the Jerusalem, so he's probably referring to that. But, but when Cephas came to Antioch, or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. In other words, none of us are above the law here. In fact, if I'm dabbling, dabbling in heresy, I hope somebody rebukes me into my face. Hey, what are you thinking? We need that accountability. In fact, uh, Paul tells Timothy how to do that, that if I am in error or any one of our elders, take two or three witnesses and then rebuke them. For prior to coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, the Judaizers, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof fearing the party of the circumcision. He got afraid. He had fear of man. All of a sudden, he had the fear of God, and then he stooped into the fear of man as they came in. It can happen so easily, can it? 
The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy and with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by the hypocrisy. It's contagious. False teaching is contagious. It always is, especially for the weak-minded. Or in this case, even the strong could be uh, fooled. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, here again, defending it, I said to Cephas or Peter in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Great argument. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus. That is our gospel so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. It can't get more clear than that. And honestly, that should all be of hope to us. That we don't have to do anything to be saved other than believe in him. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, if Christ then a minister, or is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God and I've been crucified with Christ. This is his famous 2.20 verse. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if, right, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. It's a sham. Uh, in other words, in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, we are to all be pity. We are all just go home. In other words, just all pack up and go home. Why even here? If Christ didn't die, uh, then uh, if there's no resurrection, let's just all go home. And if we are, if we could be saved by the works, then we're all to be pitied because why did Christ have to die that grueling death? It doesn't make any sense. And then if that wasn't clear, this is even more clear. And then we'll move on to Genesis, or, uh, Acts 15. Galatians 5, 2 to 5, it says this, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. You know those little thoughts that you have in your mind sometimes that you think that the, the enemy plants seeds and says, uh, Christ is not enough. If you're weary about your sin, you're overcome by your sin, you're wondering, man, why can't I get over this sin pattern in my life? And you're thinking, oh, if I can only overcome this sin, I'll finally be his. No, the truth is you are his and he will help you overcome. Because if you, if you think for a moment that you have to overcome first, you will perish in your sin. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision. He's telling the Jews this. That if he is under obligation to keep the whole law, you gotta, if you keep one, if you're thinking, okay, I've struggled with fill in the blank. And if you think, okay, I could just, if I can conquer just this sin, then I'm good. That is a lie. That is a hamster wheel for you. There's no end to it. Because once you've conquered that sin, in your relation to Jesus, then you got to move on to the next one and then the next and then the next 
and the next and the next and the next. It's awful. It's an awful way to live because what he's saying, if you live by one, you got to live by all of them. And James actually says, if you've broke one command, you're guilty of breaking them all. And you know what? That gives me hope because I realize I, I literally can't do it. I, I'm not a perfect dad. I might be okay in this one area and feel better about myself. I might observe someone else's sin and realize, I'm glad I don't do that. And we do that all the time. But I love what Jonathan Edwards says. Every time I observe somebody else's sin, I recognize that I don't really have that sin, but I have something else. And it serves to me as a reminder, every time I observe someone else's sin, it reminds me of my need for grace. That's a better way to live. You have been severed from Christ. You are all seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For if Christ Jesus neither circumcised circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. We have a new principle to live by, church, and that's love. It's not the law anymore. Does that mean we throw the law out? No. It just means we have now power to live the law. We have motivation to live for the law. We have motivation to live for Christ. We're like, we once said, oh, the law is bad. I have no desire to live for that. I have no desire to, to even want to please God. But now I do because Christ has changed me. He's transformed me, and I love the law. I love the Bible. I love what it, what it, how, it, how it, it, it transforms my life. I'm motivated through love to read this book, not through fear, but through love. So let's move on. Verse 2, as I said, they began to discuss this. Now, I think this is really important here. I just want to, I, I, we need to make this clear that they needed a council to discuss this. If there's any doctrinal issue that ever comes up in this church from here on out, it will be discussed primarily by the elders. In other words, we're not to talk about, this isn't some sort of public debate. And I think that is important that they covered the church well. It was private. They, it, these these amazing leaders, Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James, all got together at the Council of Jerusalem to hammer these truths out. Now listen, it may not be, we're like, well, we, we know we're saved by grace, but that's wonderful. But maybe your issue is like the charismatic gifts, or maybe your issue is sovereignty and human responsibility. Maybe your issues are, I don't know, whatever, women in ministry. I don't know what the issue is, but it is not to be talked about just amongst yourselves, it could be, but I'll tell you this, it won't go anywhere. It won't go anywhere. Because the guardians of the flock and the guardians of truth do not rely, uh, do not, does not uh, land in your lap. There's a new order. And the order is the elders of the church. 
And, and, and I think that is important because that's the way God set it up. And it's a wonderful, marvelous thing as we look deeper into this text and how beautiful it is and how they, what their goals were was unity. Their goals were, were to honor leadership. And we'll see how beautifully this is unpacked over the next so many verses. But understand it is not a public debate. It is the elders taking feedback from the people and bringing that into a closed room and hammering these things out together and then, and then writing them out. So by the time summer rolls around, we should have our uh, more robust doctrinal statements on our website so that you can look through them, agree, disagree, hash it out, wrestle. But understand that the most important thing that, we, that, that you have to remember is not whether you're right or whether you're wrong or whether all the, it just don't get into all that stuff. Keep the word, keep Jesus at the center, family and mission. That's who we are. And it's okay as, as all the last 20 years as I've been walking with the Lord, man, I've wrestled with this stuff, but I didn't come out king. You understand? I didn't come out thinking I own this place. And frankly, I don't either. I have to submit to many people in this place. And we hash things out. And I love how the New Testament church, they model how to do that. So let's move on. Verse 3. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria Describing in detail the conversions of the Gentiles were bringing, and they were bringing great joy to the, to the uh, people or to the brothers in the church. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. So what did they do? The first thing they did was they all got together and the, the people, the Jerusalem council was basically the hub of the New Testament church as we know it. And God put them providentially in place so they could be the guardian of the book. And as new churches were being planted, we're going to need this. As we plant more churches, we're also a part of a network of churches, about 150 around the world or so. And it's in many different places and many unreached places. We need to have this place where we can hash things out or when questions come up, we have a place to go to. And, and when you have questions, we know who to go to. And what a great thing. And I'm, 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 pleading with you to please take your questions and, and the wrestlings of, you know, as you read your Bible, as you get more of a hunger for the word, you might think, oh, this is going to be great. Guess what? You're going to have more questions. The more you know, the more you get exposed. Sometimes they say, what is it? Ignorance is bliss. I remember those days. I'm like, man, this used to be so, can we just like all love Jesus? And it, yes, we can. But Peter also says, grow in the knowledge of God. And when we do, what happens is we know more, and, and that's a good thing, but at the same time, we'll have more questions. And if we just keep them to ourselves or try to hash them out and come to conclusion ourselves, that's where we might get into some trouble. Because we have trained people to look at these things and study. That's why it says in Acts 6, four and five, that the, the apostles or the elders, so to speak, 
they, what they do is they study the word and they pray and they're in that all week so that when questions come up, it's not complicated and it doesn't overwhelm the administrators or the pastors. Does that make sense? God always takes care of his church. He has many different leaders in the church and raises up many different leaders to shepherd the flock. Okay, uh, where are we? Verse four. When they arrived, oh no, I'm sorry, verse five. Some are like, oh, you're on five, don't go back to four. <laughs> All right, I don't have a time, I, I don't have a clock. Just FYI, uh, we'll get one next week, so. Okay. <laughs> he said it. You can beat him up after church. <laughs> but some of the, <laughs> jump him, not me. But some of, the, some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Now, these were not the Judaizers. Now, understand, there's a, this is really important for a couple of reasons. One, we aren't, we're not just around here saying, false teacher. You know, don't do that, Kevin, okay? Kevin's not the enforcer. Uh, where he goes around, he, like, the enforcer of false teachers, like... You know, uh, please don't do that. Bring it to the elders if you suspect something. But I will say that these are not, you got to pay attention to the verbiage in your Bible. But it says some of the sect of the Pharisees who what? Who what? You can participate in church. Who believed. If you're, you might not have the right translation, uh, but it says believed. Um, I'm just kidding. But the reason why that's important is because we can struggle with our faith. What this is showing us right now is these aren't the, the, the jokers. These aren't the Ju- Judaizers. These were Jewish believers that were from the sect of the Pharisees. Remember Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee and he believed. There's many Pharisees on that day in the resurre- after the resurrection that they believed. But what happened was they started to say, you know, I don't know. I, I, they were staunched deep in, 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 they were entrenched in this uh, Jewish religion. We don't understand that. It's hard for us to understand that. It was a struggle for them. And, and what I'm saying is that some of us here, are not, you might think, number two things are going to happen. I want to comfort you right now and say, don't listen to the enemy and say, man, I'm believing this stuff and maybe I'm going to just, maybe my, my future or my destiny is a false teacher. And I'm just going to disrupt the church with my questions. Let me tell you something. You're not going to disrupt the church by your question. You can have questions. Like, I mean, you can have questions about, man, I don't know about tongues. It's in the Bible, right? It's for a game. We can ask it. I don't know about elders. I don't understand. That it can, you know, someone asked, you, know, I, you said so emphatically that women can be deacons. How do you get to that conclusion? Let's talk about that. We need to talk through things. Now, on the other hand, if you think that, pulling people to yourself and trying to bring people, to create a sect within the church 
and drawing people to yourself because you want a church or you have some ulterior motive or you are starting to uh, wear the, uh, the, the cloak of teacher or the, the, the badge of teacher and you have not been called out or you, you've, you, you've not actually, people have not laid hands on you to do that. You don't have authority to do that. Then you are a false teacher. You heard it clear. Because you are disrupting the church now. You can't do that. There's a way in which things work so clear from Scripture. You can't get more clear than that. Right? So don't let that mess with your mind. Some of us have such sensitive minds, and you need to be reminded again, hey, it's okay to have questions. What is CRT? You know, John's talk about that. I don't understand that. I Let's talk about that. But let's not divide the church because that's not what they did. They were so humble. They all came together. There was constant give and take and they hashed it out together so that they could preserve the unity of the church and honor Jesus's prayer in John 17. But what these people were trying to do is simply, okay, we need to get them through two more hoops, these Jewish believers. And we do this sometimes to you, but we need to get them through. In order for them to become Antioch, in order for them to come and fit the mold, they got to go through these two hoops. And what were they? Circumcision and obedience or observing the law of Moses. And Paul came in and said, you can't do this. This is because this is a heaven or hell issue. C.H. Lenski says this. I love this quote. To add anything to Christ as being necessary to salvation, say circumcision or any human work for any kind, to, is to deny that Christ is the complete Savior, is to put something human on par with him, to make it the crowning point. That is fatal. A bridge to heaven that is built of 99% of Christ and even 1% of anything human breaks down at the point at the joint and ceases to be a bridge. Even if Christ has uh, Christ been thought of as carrying 999 miles of the way and something merely human be required for the last mile, this would leave us hanging in the air with heaven being still very far away. We can't add anything to it. Guys, let's be clear about grace. About the gospel of grace. People need grace. Let's be clear. Romans 3.28, for we maintain that man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. The first point was that they needed to discover the problem. The second one, if you're following along, is the debate. And here's the debate. Here's what they discussed. If you want to, uh, we didn't get to hear really behind the scenes, but we got to hear their public uh, debate, I guess you can say. Uh, They brought it back after they hashed it out in public. So the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter took, stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Like in Tampa, we looked at Acts 10 and 11. We saw that marvelous plan unfold for the Gentiles. Peter got to be a part of that. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us, 
in them, cleansing their hearts by faith. And so here's a couple of things I want to point out. In verse 6, that God had a plan for the Gentiles, and that was very clear, as we said. In verse 8, jumping to verse 8, God gave them the Holy Spirit as he gave the Jews. Romans 8, 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Every believer, and this is probably even more relevant maybe to the Charismatics uh, in their movement more than maybe what we're dealing with here, but there's not a second baptism. There's no second baptism. There's no uh, other room that the secret, uh, more profound uh, Christians can go and find out more about Christianity. But it's plain and simple There are those who have the Holy Spirit, which I would say are the people who are saved, and those who do not have the Holy Spirit, those who are not saved. There's not a second baptism. Romans 8 9 is clear. 1 Corinthians 6 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? He's talking to the believers, whom you have from God, that you are not your own. In 1 Corinthians 12 13, by one spirit we are all baptized in one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. There's not a secret room in our church. There's not the haves and have-nots. Galatians 3.14, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the spirit through faith. And in Galatians 4.6, because you are sons, God has set forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What a glorious passage that everybody in this room who's accepted Christ as their savior can cry out, Abba, Father, is one. Verse eight, continuing the second part, that there is just no partiality. They spoke in tongues to match the Jews' experience. That's what the purpose was for tongues in that time. In Acts 10, 44 and 45, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. In other words, contrary to the charismatic movement, we, not, we don't have to have these times where people come up and get more, so to speak. We don't have to get more. We don't have to have a more experience per se, something different than others. That They all received that in the room, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. These were the Jews, the Jews who believed. They're like, whoa, this is crazy. You mean to tell me the same experience that we experienced at Pentecost is happening to these guys now? It unified the room. Uh, Ephesians 2, it broke down the barrier, the wall, so that they can finally be unified in one church from here to 2,000 years later because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And then this is Peter's testimony in Acts 11, 17, 18. Therefore, if God gave to them the same spirit as he gave to us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? May we have that same attitude. Who am I to stand in between God's plan? Sometimes we're here and think, well, we're going to fix the church. The heck you won't. You will not come here and fix the church. Pick the wrong place. Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. In other words, 
God is saying that uh, this experience that both the Jews experience are, is for the Gentiles and it's time to unify once and for all. In other words, God is not looking forward to another day in which he'll unify everyone. He's saying that uh, prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden is come, it came true in Ephesians 2. You know, there are prominent teachers even on YouTube now saying, oh, can't we just have more unity? Can't we just have more unity? I mean, come on, unity, 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 unity. Wake up and look. He gave it to us. It's ours today for the taking. Something that happened in the past and we're just reaching back to the past and claiming it for today. It's about all the name it and claim it we can do in this church. <laughs> Okay, all right, verse nine, he made no distinction and cleansed their hearts by what? By faith, by faith, not by works. Ephesians 2, one through 10, glorious passage. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Just let that sink. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Can't do anything. You're dead. Dead people can't do anything. Can't talk, speak, walk, think in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, which is the devil, of the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all were formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our transgressions, made us alive. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not by yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Ephesians 1, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. That's the gospel. And then in verse 10, it says, Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. Do you remember in Matthew 23, they said they, Jesus said, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on man's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much, sadly, as with a finger. Guys, Let's not burden one another. When we come to this house, when you come through those doors, come with this sense of, I want to alleviate the burdens of the people. How many of us have been burdened this week? How many of us have been lied to by the devil this week? I know I have multiple times throughout the week. A lot of times. I mean, he just plays that same tape over and over and over in your mind. And I'm telling you, we need each other to not lay even more burdens on each other. Why do that? We need encouragement. Amen? 
Would you agree? I mean, even Hebrews says that in a time when things were so bad and in persecution, he said, do not, this, do not let your hearts be more deceived by your sin or the deceitfulnesses of sin. In other words, he says, encourage each other now while you have time, while there is time. Do you live with that fear of God? I mean, when you wake up in the morning, I got to get to church. Yes, to alleviate the burden of the physical points of this church. Yes, there's a lot of physical here to alleviate the, the, the setup team's burden, but our souls matter more than anything else. Our souls matter, and people need encouragement. Luke is one of them. Uh, I'm not talking about Luke in the Bible. I'm talking about Luke here at church. Uh, if you know him, he's in our ADS class. He is such an encourager. Uh, he can't help but be an encourager. Now, some have that grace. They have that gift. It's a Barnabas gift. And Caleb O'Quinn has that. I mean, multiple people. I can go down the line. I mean, just so many people have that encouragement gift. But you know, all of us are supposed to be encouraging. We are not to put more burden on each other. There's so much in the world right now that is burdensome. Uh, that does not mean neglecting the truth. Encouragement, encouragement does not mean that you water truth down to pamper people. Amen? They don't need that because that is a burden. Not in the moment, but that will be. Because how many know that lies are burdensome? And if you lie to somebody, they will pay for that later. And it'll be your fault. Let that one stick. Paul and Barnabas then spoke in verse 12. All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. You need the truth of God. It was backed up by experiences, but also by signs and wonders. And again, I want to say that not only tongues affirm that, but also what affirmed that was the miracles. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of the true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. In Hebrews 2, 3 and 4, after it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. In other words, it is clear that this is all we need. Amen? We're not coming to church to see a miracle. This is a miracle. Uh, it, it is. And having researched and writing another book on the Bible it's my pleasure to read through the hardships that it took to hammer out the canon of Scripture, which, by the way, wasn't anything the apostles or the early church fathers did. It was a simple recognition of that miracle. The Word of God is enough. I'll tell you, if there is a word today to hold on to, Sure, the inspiration, sure, the inerrancy, but I'll tell you what is even more important than that is the sufficiency of the word. Church, write it down. I know you're all into tattoos. Get it tattooed somewhere if you need to. Remind yourself 
over and over and over and over that it is sufficient. In other words, what, it, what, it, what does sufficiency mean? Thank you, Robert. <laughs> what does sufficiency mean? It means it's enough. It is able to do its work in which it came forth to do, Isaiah 55, which was to transform people. Amen? What is that important? Because when you come into this room, you want to hear the word. You want to be with family. And you want to remember those who don't know him and be equipped to reach him. That's it. Is according to Robert, I guess we're done. Uh, <laughs> was I rebuked by two or three elders? James 13, I haven't even gotten to the good stuff. And after they stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God first concerned him about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. In other words, it is important that all, did you see how many leaders were involved? It's not about one man. In fact, today, even uh, one of our own and Eric and Heath are teaching tonight at ADS. We're uh, doing a uh, tag team. The three of us are teaching and um, it's glorious because we're, it's, it's all hands on deck. This is the church. Simon has related these things. And then James has taken over. They're just, they're so unified. With the words of the prophets agree. And now they go back to the word and say, just as it is written after these things, we're quoting Amos. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. Some of this has already been done and some of this will happen in the future. And I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of human, mankind may seek the Lord and All the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. He went to the word and said, look, this is a part of God's plan, so don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Do not burden them, please. They are a part of the church. Then it seemed, uh, I'm sorry, verse 20, but then I want to write to you. Now, this is going to be the confusing part. I just got to clear this up and then we'll be done. So it says this, it says that, but that we write to them, these Gentiles, that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, from fornication and sexual sin, and from what is strangled from blood. For Moses from the ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So what was actually happening here? Number one, they, were, they wanted to, them to refrain. This was, a, this was, remember, okay, this does not apply. Clearly, this does not apply today, okay? Now, there are two, there are two things that happen in the councils. One Sometimes the elders are going to get together to hammer out a truth that is universal, that will never run out. It's a, it's a universal truth that we will hammer out in stone. One of these is hammered out in stone, and do you know what that is? Sexual sin. We are always to refrain from sexual sin. Now, this is tied to temple prostitution in context, but then there are others at times where we say, okay, 
as the elders, I think it would be good because of the new believers in the room, I think it would be good for maybe some of them not to have a cell phone or at least to have a flip phone because they have a past with pornography. And we're not being legalistic, are we? Many of us have done that. And we're saying that it is good for these new believers to refrain from some of these things, whatever we might deem in the future, to help them grow in their faith, right? Amen? But we're not to make that a law. This was not a law. This was to help unify the church. This was to help their fellowship. Amen? All right. It's just helping the weaker brother. In fact, you can write down 1 Corinthians 8, 10, and Romans 14. We won't discuss those. We weren't intending on discussing them. But it's important to write those things down because there is, there's still today the weaker brother today in the church. And we have to identify what is that. And I'm not going to go so far as to say that's the mask issue, non-mask issue. I'm not even going to go there. I don't know. I can't emphatically say that. I did something that we have to look back at and say, you know, were we right? What was going on? It was a different. But what I am saying is that there are issues today that go way beyond physical masks, that go beyond those things. And uh, there are things today, even within life groups, within college ministry, there are things that say, hey, you know what? We're not going to drink. As college leaders, we're not going to drink because we don't want others to stumble. And what is it for the, for the, for Young adults, I don't know. You have, to, you have to ask Mike and Rebecca. I'll leave that up to them. <laughs> and then family is the same thing. These things, I'm, what I'm trying to say is these things are going to come up and how will you deal with them? Will you deal with them in your own matters or will you bring them to the leaders? And I think it is wise to bring them to the leaders. All right. The other point I want to make here in verse 25, we skipped there, uh, that they sent, they sent, they, they were wise and sent this letter, not only with uh, Paul and Barnabas, they honored them, and they, they said that uh, just in case that this wasn't in vain and something that they've conjured up, there was such accountability here that's so profound and so powerful that we need to take note. And it says here, the apostles and the brethren who are the elders to the brethren in Antioch and the cities there. Verse 24, since we have heard that some of, the, of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you. That's what false teachers always will do. And there's others in the church that will disturb others with their words, unsettling their souls. Everyone has felt that, right? At times, like this is unsettling because of, because of what they're doing. That's... Uh, that's what he's speaking. Verse 25, it seemed good to us having become of one mind. Now, seeming good to us is already points to the fact that it isn't law. I don't say it seems good to us that we're saved by grace. That did not come out of their mouths. To select men to send to you with our beloved Paul and Barnabas. Now, key word, beloved Paul and Barnabas, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they honored Paul. They honored the leaders for the risking of their lives. And I love that, that even though they at first disagreed with them, they ultimately said, you know what? These men risked their lives and they're worthy of honor. We need to remember, I think actually Eric is speaking on that tonight, on honoring leaders 
And I think Heath, if I remember, is speaking on perseverance. Those are two very important messages. And so what is ultimately happening here is you see this incredible unity, this incredibly honoring and submitting to one another. And Paul did risk his life for the gospel. And there's many passages that talk about him risking his life. And then move down to 27. Therefore, we have sent Judas and, and Silas. Silas is very well known. Uh, Judas is not so much known. Uh, who themselves will also report the same things by the word of mouth. For it seemed, you see the order here. There's such order. That's what we need in this church as we move forward and we grow. We need a sense of order in the church and how things run. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these, these essentials. And then he lists the essentials again. In verse 30, so when they were sent away, they were, we can have the band come up here, by the way. Verse 30, so when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. I love, again, just the profound nature of just the unity, the honor, the, the, the order there. They wanted nobody to miss this message. Let it be clear. When in doubt, guys, let our default always be clarity. When they had read it, what did they do? Is it behind me? It's bigger, bigger than the last church. They rejoiced. They weren't deconstructionists. They rejoiced. Why? Because they love the truth. That is a prerequisite of being a Christian, is loving the truth, and it remains throughout your walk with God. In fact, 2nd and 3rd John, which are most neglected books of the Bible, in the New Testament for that matter, 300 words in the Greek each. What do they do? Do you know what they remind you of? Second John reminds you, do not let anyone into your household that is a false teacher. In your house. Do you know how many people we've let in our house over the last so many years? Many. Many. Do not let a false teacher in your house. Do you know what the third one was about? Saying, you got to let people in your house that are the true missionaries of God. It's all about hospitality. It's important. A lot of us love First John, forgiveness, love, etc. But we forget a very practical way of living the Christian life. It is saying that please practice hospitality with discernment. Do not let people in your house that want to bring the church, divide the church or sway people to themselves. You know that unsettling feeling that you get? It talks about here in this verse. That's called discernment. Some people don't have that. And I think it's one of the most necessary things to have these days because there's so many messages in other words, you're like, well, I just got to stop listening to messages. That's true. There are seasons where you stop listening to so much garbage. Turn it off for a while. 
Get in the word. Get some discernment. It's the only way to get there. People are like, oh, how do you get discernment? By just shutting off the junk and putting on the good stuff and getting used to the good stuff. You got to get used to the good stuff. And you're like, oh, I, I'm unsettled. Well, where is that coming from? You can't trust your feelings if you're in the bad stuff all the time. It is interesting that every time we've, you know, maybe have had a disagreement, we have to call somebody out. And it's interesting that they don't have any discernment uh, because they've been brainwashed by media or by the world. You know, this stuff isn't complicated. This is simple. Uh, the cookie jar is very close to the ground. I mean, God made it that way. We make it complicated. This is very simple. I love that they rejoiced. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of encouragement. Because of its encouragement, Judas and Silas also began, being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. And after they'd spent time there, they sent away, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. There was more work to be done, but it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching, and with many others also the word of the Lord. Don't you love the church? I love the word of God. It's so clear. There are two applications this morning which I want you to get. The clarity of the gospel. It is the gospel of grace and you're not saved by grace, uh, not, not saved by baptism, circumcision, works, or whatever other thing you conjure up or heard from the world. You are saved by grace. And some people in this room need to hear that again. And maybe some people in this room need to hear that for the first time. We've got a question to you. If you were to die today, why should God let you into heaven? Why should he allow you in? The correct answer is I have put my faith in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. The incorrect answer by many people, including Mr. Warwick, all I have to do is to get into heaven is to live a good life. It is so deceiving. Yet the Bible says this, nobody has ever lived a good and perfect life. Have they? Yet people argue, I've never murdered anyone. I've never committed any adultery. I've never stole from anybody. Really? Well, whoever's angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell's fire. Just simple anger will cost you eternity in hell. Whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5, 28. And have we never stolen anyone's property? You ever cheat on your tax? Have you ever committed plagiarism in school, taking someone else's work? How about someone's reputation? Have you stolen their reputation? Have you gossiped about others? Have you borne false witness? Have you lied even once? 
Have you used foul language even in your head towards someone? A young man approached Jesus and asked, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you even call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud and honor your father and mother. And the man said, teacher, with such pride, he says, all these things I have kept from my youth. Really, Jesus said, one thing you lack, you have greed in your heart and you forgot that. Go your way and sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me and stop trusting in your riches. You cannot get there by your own good works. The best works that you have in this world have been, you've been deceived by your own works. You've been deceived by your own flesh and we do that often. And that's why we need the law. We need the word to tell us that we absolutely need a savior. And I hope this morning that if you've never given your life to him, that you recognize that he's not gonna let you into heaven because of your works. And that's actually a wonderful, marvelous truth. We're saying, hey, God, I'm like Isaiah. I'm nothing. I'm undone. He said two things which are interesting. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, but I'm also among a people of unclean lips. I'm an offended man. I have anger in my heart towards people. But you know what? I'm a part of a culture here in the States that are full of offended people. I'm not going to blame the culture, but I'm going to recognize that the culture has the same sin that I do. But God, would you touch my lips first so that I might reach a culture that have the same issues? Who shall I send? Send me. Here I am. Send me. What was he saying? Uh, he wasn't saying, uh, here they are. He was saying, send me. And he was saying, I don't get to send myself. I don't get to choose when I'm sent, how I'm sent. I'm undone. And it wasn't my altar. It was his altar. The angel had to go over here to take from God's altar, the cross of Jesus Christ, and actually take that and the messenger of the angel had to put that on his lips because it wasn't our works. It was his works. And he was saved by grace alone and realized that his purpose too was his plan. And we often forget about verse nine. He says, go and tell them this. What can we assume? that Isaiah had a speaking gift and he had a speaking destiny and a purpose and he was to go speak this to Israel that it is unfortunately too late and I'm bringing judgment on this nation. And that was his message. Can you imagine that? You're not selling out stadiums for that 
Commission. In other words, it starts with God and it ends with God. And the second thing that we could get from this is that we need to unify as a church and repent of our offense as we start this new season. If you're offended, you just need to stop because it's only going to destroy your life. I've seen it way too many times. And we need to submit to leadership and we need to handle doctrinal issues the right way, the way God wants them to be handled. There is a way in which things work. There is an order and God wants a unified church. And so if you're not unified this morning, get unified and not by your own strength, but let him touch you with the fire from his altar and you need to hear that you're forgiven this morning again. So Father, we, we ask you that you would save the unbeliever and for the believer that is struggling with these things, perhaps with offense or, or perhaps with a lack of honor uh, or just a confused as to how to handle questions that they have about the Bible or about Christianity, I pray, Father, that you would help them and that we'd all in the room be humbled for salvation or be humbled for sanctification and then be humbled to reach those who are far from you in your own 